Welcome to this edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We do have the permission from the Worcester News and are recording on Tuesday the 5th of January 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill and today the team comprises of our engineer Barry Hurd and fellow reader Kate Hudman, to whom I'm very grateful. Clerical work is being done by Carol Hartle. Firstly, I'd like to say a Happy New Year to you all. Um, our music, by the way, is by Sheila Joins, and the thought for the week is by Keir Aldis. So I do have quite a lot to say at the beginning, and I hope you won't get too, too fed up before we get into the news, but these are important things, I think. So, first of all, a happy and safe New Year to you all. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate and entertain. We will have some emergency telephone numbers. The thought for the week, that'll come after the obituaries actually. We'll open the birthday book and if we don't have yours, do let us know. Then we'll have headlines from the past week with sunrise and sunset times. The obituaries will be read after the final music. This service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, that's W-Y-L-D-S, here in Worcester, wr 5 1DA. And our sincere thanks do go to anyone who has sent a donation. We are truly grateful. Uh, in addition to the newspaper recordings, we record a magazine and we have an extensive library of talking books. If you would like a book, please put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 019076. Double seven, double six, And please be aware, we're not here every day. We are a voluntary service. Leave a message and I know Carol will pick it up when she comes in. We do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, not too many, please. A compliment, yes, please. Or an observation. Put a note in your wallet, that's great. Or, as I said again, leave a message on the answer phone. Now, I would like to bring you up to date with our current operation. Um, so, from everyone here at Talking News, again, I'd like to wish you all a happy, fulfilled, healthy and safe New Year. As we begin 2021, I'd like to preface this recording with some thanks and some changes to keep you updated. For the thanks, I'd like to thank many of the backroom people whose commitment enables us to continue recording. These are names you won't generally hear on the credits. After one year in the chair, we said goodbye and au revoir to David Clark with thanks. Our current chairman, Roger Knight, who together with Secretary Chris Luckham do sterling work behind the scenes to ensure funds are raised and our premises secure 
and meet any current regulations. For the Library, we thank the leadership of Joe Mildren, who, whilst continuing to be involved, has stepped down from being lead. This function at the moment is being coordinated by Carol Hartle, in addition to being our Treasurer and leading the admin team. Our Vice-Chair is now John Plush, who has willingly filled the gap left by Duncan Wynne. Duncan, what can I say? Duncan, after 42 years since this um, charity began, with his wife Mandy, have now moved away from the area. We are missing his expertise and his knowledge of this organisation. Ben Kent also deserves a mention for transferring recording into podcasts for those who don't qualify for a physical copy. Others not always credited are Keir Aldis, who reliably provides the thought for the week. And the music was updated a couple of years ago, performed and recorded by Sheila Joins. And last year we lost Aklina Josie, who retired, and we thank her too. So to our recordings, so severely interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. From this week, we are aiming to resume a weekly recording, but continuing to have one editor, reader and engineer, which enables us to operate with social distancing. Recordings are now going to take place on a Tuesday afternoon and this enables editing of, and the admin team to operate safely. Local news does seem to be in short supply and the Worcester News now carries several pages of pictures. It might mean a less than 90 minute recording. However, we're going to bring back Michael Grundy's Memory Lane, which many of you will be familiar with. As there's no entertainment venues currently open, we can't bring you a what's on slot, um, uh, one of the other casualties of this current situation. So having said all of that, I just want to go through a coronavirus checklist. If you have a fever, high temperature, continuous cough, lose or have a change to your sense of smell or taste, get in touch, please with a, a medical person and J, um, Kate is going to give you the uh, numbers in a moment. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to hand over to Kate now um, to give you those telephone numbers and she's going to open the birthday book and then just read the headlines. Thanks, Thanks Kate. Right, the telephone numbers... Um, if you've got a pen and uh, or somebody there who can note these down for you... Uh, where we are, Worcester Talking News, 01905 767766. NHS Direct, this is, as Liz has just said, if you have any symptoms or you are unwell in any other way, 111. Out of hours medical assistance between 6 and 8pm, 6am and 8pm, 0300... One two three three two one one. The Worcester Hub, which remains open, O one nine O five seven six five seven six five. Crime Stoppers to report anything that worries you, O eight hundred five 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 one one one. 
Worcestershire County Council here to help. 01905 768053, option 3. Now, birthdays. We've got quite a few this week. Um, on the first, Sylvia Day and Anne Hill. On the second, Roger Pratt. On the eighth, Valerie Martin. And also Sandra Clinton on the eighth. And on the ninth, Eileen Watson. A very, very happy birthday from us to you all. And to those that have already passed, um, then uh, we wish that you had a lovely day. And I'm sure you all did in, in your own way. It's all very different at the moment. <coughs> Thank you, Kate. Um, right, I think we can crack on with some news now. So um, you have the sunrise sunset times there. The sunrise, um, 8.16am and sunset is 4.12pm. It gets very dark very early. Mm. Um, the headlines for this week, starting from Wednesday, asbestos to blame for death of Cecil. Jailed drink driver who blamed his dog. An unhappy new tear for pals and pupils. Pubs and so I'm so sorry about that. An unhappy new tear for pubs and pupils. Dog snap. And the headlines this week, starting from Wednesday. Asbestos to blame for death of Cecil. Jailed drink driver who blamed his dog. An unhappy new tear for pubs and pupils. Dog snatch. Police ruined Christmas. Virus worry as schools reopen. Covid cases hit a new high. So on Wednesday, uh, beloved philanthropist Cecil Duckworth died from cancer contracted by breathing in asbestos, his inquest has revealed. Mr Duckworth, who founded Worcester Bosch and built Worcester Warriors into one of the country's most prominent rugby union clubs, was mourned beyond the city boundaries when he died last month. An inquest on December the 11th ruled that his death had been caused by malignant pulmonary mesothelioma, a cancer that started in Mr Duckworth's lungs that is rarely possible to cure, according to the NHS. More than 2,600 people are diagnosed with the condition each year in the UK. Mr Duckworth's widow, Beatrice Duckworth, told Worcester News it must have been something which he picked up when he was first making the boilers and it lay dormant all these years. It was very unexpected. It only materialised in the last two or three years. He had no idea. It was just very unfortunate. There is no silver bullet with these things. He had one day's illness in his life. He had remarkable health and only had that one day off work. So this came as a total shock. He wasn't used to being unwell. Mesothelioma is a malignant tumour caused by inhaled asbestos fibres and forms in the lining of the lungs, abdomen or heart. Symptoms can include shortness of breath and chest pain with an approximate 12-month life expectancy for patients after diagnosis. People most at risk of developing mesothelioma would generally have handled asbestos for a prolonged period of time. 
Mrs Duckworth went on to express her gratitude for the army of mourners who turned out to pay tribute, particularly on the day of Mr Duckworth's funeral. His final tour of the city began at Acorn's Children's Hospice, Children's Hospice, St Peter's, where he had supported the care of seriously ill children and their families for many years. The procession then stopped outside Worcester Cathedral before heading to Worcestershire County Cricket Club, where Mr Duckworth was named president in March 2019, and people lined New Road in numbers to say their goodbyes. The tour continued at Worcester Bosch, where employees paid their respects before finishing with the place that stole his heart, Six Ways Stadium, home of his beloved warriors. As a family, we were quite overwhelmed by all the tributes we received from everyone, and everyone who stood and paid their respects was as the cortege went past, said Mrs Duckworth. We thought that was a wonderful thing to do, and it was a great source of comfort to us. It was something we had never thought about or envisaged, but it was an amazing thing for people to do, and we were really touched. Mrs Duckworth spent what she described as a very strange Christmas with her immediate family. We were married for 59 years next September, would have been our 60th anniversary, she said. My family were here with us, having been in a bubble for a long time, and that was very comforting. A dangerous drink driver who caused a crash which left a woman with serious injuries and blamed his dog for distracting him is now behind bars. Mr Marek of Wasdale Court, Warnden, was jailed for 32 months at Worcester Crown Court earlier this month. We previously reported how he admitted dangerous driving, which caused serious injury when he appeared at the same court in November. The crash happened on July 7th last year, when Marek crashed his Renault Kangoo van on the A44 at Bredenbury near Bromyard, causing serious injuries to Fiona Finney. The defendant was also banned from driving for three years, and this ban was extended by 16 months, so it will begin as soon as he is released from prison at the halfway point of his sentence. He must also complete an extended driving retest, which is mandatory for anyone convicted of a dangerous driving offence. The case was prosecuted by Nicholas Berry and Marek was sentenced by Judge Nicholas Cartwright. The Hereford Times, our sister paper, reported how three people were taken to hospital following the crash just before 5pm. The road had to be closed and a quantity of oil was spilled. The 44-year-old had initially pleaded not guilty but changed his plea when he appeared before Judge Nicholas Cartwright in November. Nicholas Berry, prosecuting, said the defendant had already pleaded guilty to being intoxicated, as well as not having a valid licence. Marek pleaded guilty on the basis he was distracted by a dog in the car. The judge asked if there was a dog. Marek's barrister, Timothy Sapwell, said yes, there was. The dog thankfully escaped with minor injuries. Mr Sapwell said his client denied being asleep. That was the supposition of those in the other car coming towards him because he appeared to be slumped over the wheel, said Mr Sapwell. The advocate said the other vehicle was on the wrong side of the road. 
He added the reason it was on the wrong side of the road was because Mr Marek's van was also in the wrong place as a result of his dog distracting him from his driving. And on Friday, an unhappy new tier for pubs and pupils. Frustrated landlords are preparing for months of closures after being thrown into financial chaos by the country moving into stricter Tier 3 restrictions. Uh, We must bear in mind that uh, I am reading last Friday's um, headline. Mm. Meanwhile, teachers have mixed feelings about the government announcing students will return to school later than usual after Christmas. Worcestershire moved into the very high-risk Tier 3 Tier 3, with stricter rules facing pubs and restaurants not offering delivery or takeaway to close. Jackie Berry, landlord of the Northwick Arms, said the latest announcement capped off a year of bad news that had thrown the industry into financial chaos. She was preparing to be closed until at least March and could not see when the struggle would end. I completely get the lockdown and I know hospitals are struggling but you can get your hair and your nails done and you can go swimming. You can go to the shops and school and work, but you can't go to the pub. You can't meet people in a garden, but there will be hundreds of people in a supermarket. Once again, it's just the hospitality that suffers. I just don't get it. Some of the other smaller pubs haven't been able to open at all, she said. It has been really hard, but what do we do? There's nothing we can do except just suck it up and get on with it. I've told my customers I'll see you in March because I don't expect to be open before then. They've thrown us into financial chaos and there doesn't seem to be an end to it. Sue Law, of the owner, uh, one of the owners of the Holt Fleet pub near Worcester, said she would donate the pub's leftovers to Worcester Street Cafe to help the homeless. To be honest, I was expecting it, and I won't be surprised if we went go into Tier 4 later on in the month. The pub has gone to great lengths in the past nine months to adapt to ever-changing lockdown rules for pubs and restaurants, including buying pods for its beer garden and a converted horse trailer as an outdoor bar. Luckily, we just have such, we have such supportive customers, said Mrs Law. Meanwhile, teachers have admitted being having mixed feelings after the government announced students will return to school later than usual after Christmas. Secondary school pupils will not return until January the 11th at the earliest, with some not returning until January the 18th. County primary schools will return on January the 4th. On the same day, the children of key workers and vulnerable children will be able to return to secondary schools. Secondary students in exam years will only be able to return to class on January the 11th. Neil Morris, who's head teacher of Christopher Whitehead Language College in Worcester, said he understood the late opening but felt saddened for students and their parents. I am particularly concerned for our exam group, Year 11, many of whom will be undertaking their fourth or fifth period of remote learning. No matter how robust the recorded lessons offered uh, offered, and hours are good, this is so hard for families whose IT is not sufficient to allow students time to study. We still await the promised government laptops and crucially we still await announcements regarding the exam assessment criteria for A-levels and GCSEs with the June exams looming. 
heartbroken gran says armed police ruined her family Christmas because they mistakenly seized her dog after a fatal attack. Now animal mad Carol Roberts fears the police may be hanging on to Dylan because she compared them to the Gestapo, the Nazi secret police, during the Worcester raid. She has also issued a new photo of Dylan to show he doesn't match the description of the killer dog. The pensioner admits she screamed and shouted at officers and ripped up their warrant, telling them, you're nothing but the Gestapo, all you police coming to fetch a little dog. Mrs Roberts, who says she remains suicidal, cancelled Christmas because she still has not got her beloved Dylan back nearly three weeks of waiting by the phone. She was so distraught, all she ate was a baked potato for Christmas dinner. As we previously reported, Dylan was seized by a team of 12 police officers from her home in Guildford Close Ronxwood on December the 11th. Now she feels she is being ignored, saying her phone calls have not been returned by the officer dealing with the case. The 72-year-old also disputes police claims they had not had any cooperation from her because she had failed to attend a meeting to resolve matters. Dylan was seized under the Dangerous Dogs Act because the Staffordshire Bull Terrier is suspected of being involved in a fatal attack on another dog in August. The officers were armed with tasers and riot shields. The great-grandmother says one of the reasons she cannot clear Dylan's name is because her husband is too ill to go to the station to give evidence and police will not come to the family home to conduct the interview. Mrs Roberts disputes Dylan was involved in any attack, claiming he is gentle and does not even match the description of the dog given on the warrant. The family has now released a fresh photo of Dylan, which they say proves that he is brown and white with a small build, not the muscular black dog with a large body and a huge head that police described on the shredded form. On a previous occasion, she was told by an officer that Dylan was not eating after being placed in kennels by police, despite being given the best food. She says she has received no update on his progress for eight days and is becoming increasingly worried about him, complaining of suffering debilitating panic attacks. I know he's not human, but to me he's like a ba my baby, said the ardent animal lover. She says she was told by police that the officer dealing with the case would definitely ring her back on Tuesday, December 29th, with an update, but he had not done so. She said, it's wearing me down now. I have wrapped no Christmas presents this year. I couldn't face it. It's the first year in 54 years we haven't had Christmas. I haven't even had a Christmas dinner. It's all still in the freezer. We had a baked potato. I don't want to get out of bed. Life isn't worth living. It's nearly three weeks now. I desperately need him back. I miss him so much. The dog involved in the attack was with a man at the time, but as previously reported, Mrs Roberts said it could not have been her husband who is not well enough to walk him. He remains on dialysis and has suffered three heart attacks. Mrs Roberts says he was asked to come down to Worcester Police Station to meet with officers, but told them he was at high risk from COVID-19. She says she asked them to come to the house, but in, but 
instead, but says they have refused. Mrs Roberts said her husband had suffered a terrible fall over Christmas, bashing his head, and was not well enough to go to the police station. Her husband, aged 79, also has letters from the government and from the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, which she says confirm that he is high risk from the pandemic because of heart failure and he is in the last stages of kidney disease. Mrs Roberts has also been told her husband will not be resuscitated if he goes back into hospital and becomes unwell. They were happy enough to come to my house when they seized my dog, but they won't come around now and interview him at the house, says Mrs Roberts. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said... We are investigating the sad death of another dog that took place in the summer. As part of our duty to investigate that death and ensure that, where possible, we mitigate any future risks to the owners, the community and all our beloved pets. We have been regularly communicating to the owners of the suspect dogs. dog. Sorry, The last update regarding the case progression and the care of the dog was provided by a police sergeant on Christmas Eve. Sadly, we had arranged for an interview on December the 20th with the owner, along with a solicitor, which the owner failed to attend or rearrange. We are unable to conduct such investigation interviews within a home address. We have now submitted a file to the Crown Prosecution Service, which the owners have been informed of, and once they have made a decision, we will be able to conclude our investigation and hopefully return the dog to them. Uh, the next headline um, was virus worry as schools reopen. But as we all know now, the schools haven't reopened. Mm. So I'm going to read um, a headline mm. that was actually on the 28th of December, but might interest you uh, quite a lot. £18 million to transform part of city centre. A major regeneration of Worcester City Centre is set to go ahead after a bid by the council secured almost £18 million. The investment has been awarded from the government's future High High Streets Fund with the announcement made by Community Secretary the Right Honourable Robert Jenrick and Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak. The boost will bring about a transformation of the northern end of the city centre and we'll see the reopening of a restored Scala Cinema and Corn Exchange and the creation of new homes for first-time buyers. The £17.9 million investment will be pumped into the area from the cross up to Fourgate Street train station, taking in Broad Street, Angel Place, the Trinity and Queen Street. The area is home to the Angel Place Market, Friary Walk Shopping Centre and the bus station. It also hosts a former Scala Cinema, closed as an entertainment venue in in 1973, and the Victorian Corn Exchange on the corner of Angel Place and Angel Street, the former Colmore Depot in Angel Street, last used as a co-op supermarket and currently empty, and Trinity House. The area currently has a high proportion of empty shops, a poor quality street environment, and is sometimes a focus for antisocial behaviour. Councillor Mark Bayliss, lead of Worcester City Council, said this is fantastic news for Worcester and is evidence of the government's promise to invest in communities. Our high street needs a boost at this moment and I believe this funding can make a real difference. 
The council's deputy leader, Councillor Adrian Gregson, said, This is really great news and will revitalise a big part of the city centre. It will be exciting for residents and brilliant for visitors. I want to give my thanks to the team that put this strong and successful bid together. Worcester City Council prepared and submitted the bid to the Future High Streets Fund with support from Worcestershire County Council, Worcestershire LEP, the Crown Estate, owners of Crowngate Shopping Centre, the University of Worcester, Worcester Bid, the owners of Trinity House, market operator LSD Promotions and others. The bid was developed in line with the City Council's City Plan and the City Centre Master Plan. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said the funding for the Future High Streets Fund will restore its one-time status as an active, vibrant part of the city. Over the next five years, the High Street will be regenerated to create a diverse leisure, residential and cultural centre, offering new jobs being created and fresh life breathing back into its historic buildings. For more on major plans to transform Worcester City Centre, please see the website worcesternews.co.uk. And the final headline for today, Tuesday, the 5th of January. The county's COVID infection rate is the highest since the pandemic began, new figures reveal. Worcestershire's infection rate in the week up to December 29th was 287.2 cases per 100,000 people. While the County Council said uh, on Monday the latest rate was 317 cases per 100,000, with the County's Director of Public Health, Dr Catherine Cobain, urging residents to do their part to stop the virus spreading. Public Health England data only shows infection rates in Worcestershire from October the 5th, with the previous highest being 249.4 cases per 100,000 on November the 11th. As we know, since this report was written, Prime Minister Boris Johnson addressed the nation at 8 o'clock and invoked another full lockdown. Figures showed between 60 and 80 daily cases were recorded during the first peak in April, with figures in October reaching between 80 and 170 cases a day, compared to daily highs of more than 500 at the end of December. A total of 529 cases were recorded on December 29th and 419 cases on December 30th, with daily cases in Worcestershire staying largely above 150 throughout the month and moving to 200 plus in the latest week of data available. A total of 274 cases were recorded on December 27th and 249 uh, in Worcestershire on December 28th. The highest infection rate in Worcestershire during November was 249.4 cases, I just read that, um, before falling to 84.9 per 100,000 by December the 5th. Worcestershire's infection rate then continued to increase again throughout December. Worcester's infection rate in the week up to December 29th uh, was 316, also the highest it has been since the pandemic started. 
Dr Catherine Cobain, the Director for Public Health for Worcestershire, said the concerning surge across the county was due to people meeting up over Christmas. The rising figures are concerning and we are clearly seeing a deteriorating picture across our county, she said. The surge in cases is a direct result of our behaviours over Christmas through people mixing and seeing each other. The virus has been spreading. We are seeing our local NHS experiencing significant impacts with more people in hospital now than at any point in the pandemic. We need to act immediately to stop this transmission. Reduce how many people you see, stop mixing with others, follow all the rules. It is down to every one of us to prevent the spread of this virus and reduce the cases in Worcestershire. Please help us reduce the transmission of COVID-19 and protect all our loved ones. Worcester MP Robin Walker said the figures were very worrying and reflected a national trend. He said, The good news is that we stay below the national average rate, but clearly these are rates that they were seeing in other areas in, in Tier 4 just a few weeks ago, so are very concerning. Mr Walker said he did not know whether Worcestershire was heading for Tier 4. Well, we know we're all in lockdown now. Um, we'll have to wait and see what comes out of uh, uh, Mr Johnson's um, announcements. He was saying he couldn't speculate, but it seems likely that given the announcement of a tougher lockdown in Scotland, there may be further measures ahead. As we know, we are now in a total lockdown. And so there we are. <laughs> Uh, on with the news. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Kate. <clears throat> right. This, um, this is a message from the High Sheriff. Worcestershire's High Sheriff has thanked the emergency services and voluntary sector after the tough year they have faced during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mark Jackson was appointed High Sheriff online via video link in April. The role is normally handed over in person in front of either a High Court judge or magistrate at Worcester Crown Court. However, an exception was made in the first lockdown. Mr Jackson said that since then it had been an unusual year, as it had been for everyone. I haven't been able to support fundraising efforts as I would have done as part of the role, Mr Jackson said. I have been supporting the Worcestershire Community Foundation, which caters for all charities. It was by pure chance back in January that I thought I'm not going to be partial to a particular charity and decided to support something that would support the whole of the county. Mr Jackson said that given he couldn't attend events typical of the role, he had instead been visiting a lot of the organisations that the foundation supported. Worcestershire has always had, had great people, he said. What has happened with Covid is there have been an emphasis on helping your neighbour. My own village, Charlton, set up on its own set its own COVID website up. I have had the privilege to see the little organisations setting up food banks, delivering hot meals and supporting lonely people. If anything good has come out of COVID, it might be the rebirth of community. Mr Jackson added that as well as the voluntary sector, he particularly wanted to thank the emergency services for all their work this year and those who are on duty over the festive period. Mr Jackson is a retired Lieutenant Colonel who was Commanding Officer of 1st Battalion, the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regiment. He was Chief Executive of St Richard's Hospice from 2006 to 2017. Mm. 
And now we have news of um, New Year's honours uh, for people in the uh, area. A professor from Worcester is among a number of county people to be recognised in the Queen's New Year's honours. Professor Dawn Brooker, who has dedicated more than 35 years of her life to improving care for people with dementia, has been awarded an MBE for services to supporting those with dementia through research, education and policy advocacy. Her work has advanced professional practice and she is now one of the UK's leading experts whose work is well known around the world. She said, During my career, dementia has shifted from being a condition that many had never heard of to one that now affects most families in the UK. I'm very grateful to be made an MBE for services to those affected by dementia. However, I also feel humbled by the knowledge that we still have a long way to go to ensure that everyone gets the best treatment and care. I will use this award to play my part in making this a reality. Professor Brooker was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award at the National Dementia Care Awards 2019 and earlier that year was named as one of Universities UK's top 100 lifesavers working in higher education. Professor David Green, CBE, University of Worcester Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive, said the scale and purpose of Dawn's achievements in dementia care is unique. She has created significant and life-changing practices to support people around the world and dedicated her professional life to ensuring the voice of people with dementia, as well as their families and carers, is heard in political and public forums. She has given a platform to and inspired those wanting to make a change to the way dementia is perceived and the ways in which people are cared for, always with the aim of helping people live as well as is possible with dementia. Dawn's reputation is truly global and she is one of the key advocates for truly sustainable and innovative ways of working. We are very proud of Dawn and all her colleagues working in the Association of Dementia Studies. This national award is truly deserved. Professor Brooker first chose to work in the field of dementia care more than 35 years ago, when it was very much a Cinderella subject, recognising its importance for millions of people. She has strived to ensure those living with dementia and their families are not marginalised within society and has advocated for the voice of people with dementia to be heard. She has served on many national and international bodies, provided evidence to government inquiries, and contributed to the G7 Action on Dementia and Action Against Dementia. Another Worcestershire name on the list is Simon York, Director of the Fraud Investigation Service, who was named a Companion of, or of the Order of the Bath for his work fighting against serious fraud. He said, I am delighted that HMRC's great work tackling tax crime, both at home and internationally, has been recognised in this way. I have been fortunate to lead a very talented and committed group of people, and this honour is as much for them as me. Another Worcestershire person to be honoured was Frieda Davis, awarded the British Empire Medal for services to her community. 
The 83-year-old has been involved in supporting Hallowed Church and many charities for the last 50 years. She said, Without the support of many people who are not with us now, I would not be receiving this award. In total, she and others have worked together to raise £90,000 over those two decades for the church as she put her catering skills to good use. Other Worcestershire names on the list include, and these two have received OBEs, Dr Anne-Marie Fitchett, lately Policy and Legislation Principal, Defence Maritime Regulator for Services to Defence, and Karag Merrick, Trustee and Chair of Finance Committee, Universities and Colleges Administration Service, that's UCAS, for Services to Higher Education. MBEs go to Richard John Campbell for services to the community in the West Midlands and to Dr Richard Harling, Director of Health and Care, Staffordshire County Council, for services to public health and adult social care, particularly during the COVID-19 response. And a British Empire Medal goes to Julia Elizabeth Micklewright, Founder and Chair of ASPI, for services to people with Asperger's Syndrome. Right, now we're going to uh, skip, uh, turn the pages backwards a little bit and um, uh, Kate has uh, an item from Michael Grundy's Memory Lane and this was actually published in 1988 and she's going to read a lovely story. This is called Ticket to Ride. Initially, public would have nothing to do with the newfangled buses. Just three years after its birth in 1904, the Midland Red lost out badly to the horses in the public transport stakes. The public of the region, long used to the gentle trot of journeyings by horse-drawn trams and omnibuses, would have little or nothing to do with the newfangled and dangerous motorised monsters of Midland Red. So intense was the battle between the traditional and modern forms of transportation that the bus company eventually had to accept defeat and discard its motor buses. But this created the peculiar situation where no fewer than five years the Midland Red continued to operate under its official name of the Birmingham and Midland Motor Omnibus Company, yet without having a single motor omnibus. For a while, horse-drawn public transport enjoyed a renewed lease of life, but it was to prove only a last fling, though to, in, in, uh, in one which the Midland Red had to participate for commercial survival. It was in the spring of 1912 that the motor omnibus made its triumphal return, this time to stay and eventually to drive horse buses off the roads. In 1914, Worcester was to play a significant part in the Midland Reds' development when the company bought up a local bus operation run from premises in East Street, which had formerly been a roller skating rink. It was then that the Worcester, be Worcester became the cradle of the Midland Reds' eventual network of rural and urban services outside Birmingham. During the 1914-18 war, petrol became so scarce that balloon-like containers had to be fixed to the roofs of buses to hold their alternative lifeblood, coal gas. Standpipes were put up at convenient points for the refilling of the balloons. 
1928, Worcester was again to figure in bus transport history. After lengthy negotiations, the Midland Red and Worcester Corporation evolved a special agreement enabling the company to operate all bus services in the city on behalf of the local authority. The agreement became the model or prototype for similar legal arrangements between transport operators and local authorities up and down Britain. During the last war, the Midland Red played a crucial role in the home effort. Its vehicles were subjected to continuous and intense overloading as they took workers to and from factories, carried shoppers who thronged to the towns and cities to search in search of unrationed goods and took passengers out into country districts in the evenings. The company's resources and in, in and sorry and ingenuities were taxed to the limit struggling to operate as many services as possible in the nightmare blackout conditions where the degree of lighting permitted in buses was infinitesimal once again too petrol became so scarce that many buses though though spared to the world war one indignity of having gas balloons on their roofs had instead to tow an abomination known as the gas producer something akin to a hot chestnut roasting machine. In its 83-year history, the Midland Red has operated its vehicles over literally billions of miles and carrying umpteen millions of passengers. But dramatic changes have taken place in the 1980s, with the Midland Red Empire being divided up into a number of now independently run operations. One of the most successful is Midland Red West, with its HQ in London Road, Worcester and operating services throughout Hereford and Worcester and further afield. It has been responsible too for the revolutionary £1 million city bus system in Worcester, the first comprehensive city-wide network of minibus services to be launched in Britain. How about that? Thank you. Isn't it nice to hear about times past? And I have another item here which has um, been published in the last week um, from Paul Harding of Discover History. And he's looking at the background of the gold chain of office worn by Worcester mayors. And he writes, Today tourists pause to watch a civic procession. Today the mayor's charity banquets put thousands of pounds to good causes and the mayor has the casting vote during important council meetings. However, if we turn back the clock to the medieval period, Worcester had no mayor. Instead, the city relied on the powerful guild that was created by the 1189 Charter. This had evolved to become two chambers known as the 48 and the 24. These were made up of important men who made decisions about the city. They were led by the High Bailiff, a forerunner of the mayor's post. In 1621, Worcester was gifted the charter to create a mayor by King James I. It transferred the power from the High Bailiff to the mayor and created Worcester City and County. Thus, next year marks the 400th anniversary of the first mayor of the city of Worcester. It would, however, be over 200 years later before a mayor would first wear the chain of office still in use today. Edward Herdman, the first mayor, was the second son of Thomas Herdman of Napleton, Kemsey. 
We do not know much about Edward's early life, but records show he married twice. His first wife died very early on, and he then met Joan Colley, the wealthy widow of Thomas Colley, brewer of the city. Edward and Joan married in 1595 at St Andrew's Church, just behind the original Guildhall. They moved to the nearby parish of All Saints in 1618 and lived in a house within the shadow of the church. Sadly, their house was demolished to make way for wider roads in the 19th and 20th centuries. As the 17th century dawned, Edward became a well-known citizen and this put him in line for official duties. Church records show that he was buried on December 13, 1635, with his wife two years later. His will declared that £5 should be used to purchase a silver communion cup for All Saints Church, £5 for the parish poor and £4 for St Andrew's Church and the church in Kempsey. A further 30 shillings were also passed to St Clement's Church. Money was also given to the corporation to purchase two silver bowls engraved with the city coat of arms. Descriptions say they were very nice pieces, but they disappeared during the looting of the city during the turbulent English civil wars. Since Edward Herdman, we have had many mayors, including one William Shakespeare, in 1930-31. The current incumbent is Councillor Joe Hodgetts, who became the mayor during the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. A century ago, Arthur Colton was mayor at the start of the Spanish flu of 1918. Today, some of these people have paintings hanging in the Guildhall. There are also streets named after them. These include Padmore Street for Richard Padmore, 1848-49, Sheriff Street, Alexander Clunes Sheriff, who was mayor 1862-64, and in more recent times, Leyland Walk, Mike Leyland, who was mayor 2010-11. Some of these people were mayors more than once. In 1864, Alexander Clunes Sheriff was mayor and was gifted a gold chain of office during his time as mayor. The back of the main pendant is 14 carat gold and shows a fine enamelled coat of arms. The back is engraved with the following words. This chain was given to Alex Clunes Sheriff Esquire, Mayor of Worcester, by many friends. The chain has 35 very unusual links with a clasp holding seven rose-cut diamonds. The chain is 18 karat gold and resembles railway couplings and it was specifically designed for Alexander because of his association with the railway. At the end of his mayoral year on March 1st 1864 the chain was presented to the city to be worn by all mayors in the future. An extremely kind gift from one of the long list of people who have been right worshipful mayors over the years. Well, interesting history. Yes, indeed. A new community hub for Droitwich will open in 2021 after organisations rallied round to support the key project. Work on the cabin has finished and the plan is for it to open in the spring. The flexible building will be used to host adult education programmes, community and family information meetings 
as well as meetings and events staged by the police, social care, special needs groups, the health service and other local organisations. The opportunity to proceed with the construction of the cabin was secured when a joint bid by Droitwich Spa Town Council, Droitwich Means Business and Droitwich Spa High School for a share of the three million Witchhaven Community Legacy Grant Scheme resulted in £120,000 in grant funding for the project. But the grant was on condition that the community rallied round to raise more funding. Matt Nicholl, chairman of Droitwich Means Business and a former pupil of Droitwich Spa High School, said it had been a joint community effort to get it this far. Money was raised and donated by a range of local organisations, including King George VI CIC Sports Association, which gave £5,000. Mr Nicholl's estate agency, Nicholl & Co, donated £3,000 and fundraising by Droitwich High School brought in a further 7500 With more than £15,000 raised locally, Droitwich Town Council also provided a construction costs contingency fund representing 10% of the build costs to guarantee the project would go ahead. Mr Nicholl said the initial suggestion was for a shed, but we all agreed the cabin sounded better. It could never have been completed without everyone pulling together in what has been an incredibly challenging year with the pandemic to contend with as well. The facility now completed will be managed by a committee of six, including two representatives from the school and council. Droitwich Means Business is a local business group co-founded by Mr Nicholl, made up of a number of key business owners, local employers and business leaders, formed with the purpose of putting Droitwich back on the map and creating a connected community. Mr Nicholls' role in promoting the project has been recognised by his former school, Droitwich Spa High School, where he has been invited to be a member of the school's Academy Trust. Now, many of you will remember Oscar Saxelby Lee, um, and he has actually been in hospital again, but his mum says he's feeling a bit better. Uh, Olivia Saxelby, Oscar's mum, shared an update via the family's Facebook page saying he was feeling a bit brighter. She said, we all feel like we've been hit by a bus. Trying to stay focused on top of everything and being positive is a real challenge at times. Ozzy turned a horrible corner on New Year's Eve and we've been trying to source the reason ever since. We've started to put a few pieces together but boy, he's one heck of a puzzle. Oscar had IV antibiotics and has not had a fever since, which is fab. Oscar's family revealed he was back at hospital on their Hand in Hand for Oscar platform, which helped the Worcester schoolboy get treatment for leukaemia in Singapore, which was not available on the NHS. More than a thousand well-wishers offered messages of support inside 24 hours. Mum Olivia said they have no clear answers, but added, we are still a little up in the air, but very, very pleased. Ozzy is doing well. And there are two photographs of um, one, he's looking a bit pale and wan and rather sorry for himself and rather poorly. And 24 hours later, he's looking a lot better. His colour's better and he has a lovely smile. So let's wish him well and hope he gets better soon. More than £4,000 has been raised for St Richard's Hospice in Worcester. 
The money was raised after the community bought, raffled and auctioned Christmas cakes, which were made and donated by the Witchhaven and Starport branches of the British Sugarcraft Guild. A post on the hospice's Facebook page said, We are so grateful to everyone who bought, raffled or auctioned a Christmas cake to raise more than £4,000 for our care and counting. The beautifully iced cakes were made by talented members of the British Sugarcraft Guild who generously support us each year. This year, Guild members donated 30 cakes in the shape of letterboxes, snowmen, houses and more. We would like to say a huge thank you to everyone who helped to make this fundraiser such a sweet success for our care. The money will be used to support patients and families across Worcestershire. The Droitwich Sugarcraft Guild has donated ice cakes to St Richard's every Christmas for 18 years and in that time has helped to raise a huge amount for the hospice. St Richard's fundraising director Tricia Cavell said the cakes are raffled annually for St Richard's hospice. This year, due to the pandemic, we were not sure how much we would raise as often businesses and schools take the cakes to raise funds but we have been overwhelmed with everyone's support and their amazing efforts to maximise income. The funds raised will support St Richard's Care both at the hospice and in the community and there's a wonderful picture of um, a house with snow on it uh, and a little child looking out of the window and underneath it's inscribed Santa Claus is coming to town. (laughs) Okay. A Royal Navy officer from Worcester has completed five years of training to become an elite submarine hunting helicopter pilot. Lieutenant Matthew Ford was handed his wings, the badge that shows he is now qualified to fly on frontline squadrons, at a special ceremony at Royal Naval Air Station Kildrose in Cornwall. The 30-year-old, a former pupil of Nunnery Wood High School, will now join 820 Naval Air Squadron, the unit dedicated to protecting the UK's aircraft carriers HMS Queen Elizabeth and HMS Prince of Wales. He said, I joined the Navy when I was 17 as a Royal Marine, so it was a natural progression when I wanted to become a pilot to stay in the Navy. I spent eight years in the Marines... A friend of mine was learning to fly Wildcats, that's helicopters, and as soon as I found out he'd done it, I thought I'd give it a go. For the last year, Lieutenant Ford has been based at RNAS Caldrose's 824 Naval Air Squadron, learning how to fly and fight as a team of four aircrew in the Navy's Merlin Mark II helicopters. The first time you step into a Merlin, you're mesmerised by the number of switches and circuit breakers, he added. The Merlin is just crawling with technology and gizmos. You name it, it's got it. I've always been into technology, so I'm in heaven. Once you get into the air, up into a hover, and then start manoeuvring it around the sky, you really have to remind yourself just how much aircraft there is behind you, because it handles so smoothly. You forget that only a few months ago in training you were flying around in an aircraft like the Squirrel with a single engine. The Merlin is such a big machine. Its loaded mass is 14.6 tonnes, but it doesn't feel like that when you're flying. We throw it around quite a lot too. Armed with dipping sonar, sonar buoys, powerful radar and torpedoes, the Merlin Mark II makes a formidable fighting unit 
designed for locating and destroying hostile submarines. Part of Lieutenant Ford's training was a flying and anti-submarine warfare exercise from the carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth. He said, You're in the middle of the North Sea and it's night time. You take off from a perfectly capable ship that has scram, which is food, duvets, a warm room and showers, and you just lift off out into the inky blackness with nothing else around you. That's when it comes home that this is what the training is all about. You realise this is why you need to take it seriously, because you're flying along at 120 knots, down at 200 feet, in complete blackness. Now that his training has completed, Lieutenant Ford said he was looking forward to getting stuck into the real job. Most of 820 Naval Air Squadron will join HMS Queen Elizabeth. Sorry. The County Council is looking to increase its share of council tax next year as part of a plan to plug a 26.5 million gap in its budget. Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet will be meeting to discuss plans to raise its portion of council tax by 2.5%, including 1% set aside for adult social care to help fill the hole. Based on current estimates, the increase would see the County Council's share of council tax rise by around £33 extra next year for the average Bandy household, notwithstanding any other increases by district councils or police and fire service precepts. Cabinet Papers say the council is in a strong position going into the next 12 months, despite an extraordinary year dealing and responding to the COVID pandemic. The council has also revealed a 26.5 million gap in its budget for the next year, almost three quarters of which is taken up by adult and children's social care, to be covered by £9 million extra from the government in COVID funding. £5 million more from the proposed council tax increase and around £7 million in cuts and savings. The council adds that it will use £3 million from its reserves and expects £2.4 million extra from business rates. Cabinet papers also show the council predicts a £76.5 million gap in its subsequent two budgets between 2022 and 2024. The much-delayed Fair Funding Review, which plans to take another look at the formula used by the government to work out how much money each council receives every year, was already hit with the delay because of Brexit and was postponed again due to coronavirus. A new application to cut down protected trees as part of a bid to build 50 new homes on city fields has been opposed by nearby residents and a councillor. It was previously reported that the application for up to 50 homes on the former Tolodyne golf course in Warnden Villages was facing strong opposition from residents. Now the developer behind the application, Bromford Developments Limited, has asked for permission to remove trees and a hedgerow in the area, a move which City and County Councillor Andy Roberts has opposed. Councillor Roberts said he wanted to call in the tree removal application so it can go in front of the planning committee for a decision by councillors rather than just a planning officer determining the outcome. Councillor Roberts said, 
The developers want to go beyond the land that's been allocated in the South Worcestershire Development Plan and build a greater number of houses. They are now asking that planners assume that permission will be given and on that basis allow the removal of trees and a hedgerow in an area covered by a tree preservation order. It is a fundamental principle that the outcome of each planning application is not predetermined. If the trees are removed to make way for housing, the outcome of the application for permission will be seen as a foregone conclusion. If the trees are ripped out but approval for the increased number of houses is refused, an ecosystem will have been lost with no justification. The trees might not be ancient oaks, but they are trees under a tree preservation order. Throughout Warnden villages, the housing has been done to be in sympathy with the natural environment. The trees were here long before the houses, and they will be built around them. People benefit from that, as it is a fact of life. People who have access to green open spaces live better lives and are more healthy. Among the dozens of objections already submitted over the application, Sue Hart of Newtown Road wrote, I object strongly. This application should not be at the detriment of the lovely trees and hedgerows. Hedgerow, sorry. It is an utter disgrace to remove them. It is no good saying that they will be replaced. It takes many years for the trees to mature. Dr Sharath Rao of Popert Drive added, Removing trees even before the planning application is approved is overtly obnoxious, just a way of clearing the ground. The application can be found at plan.worcester.gov.uk using reference 20 forward slash 00972 forward slash TPOA, and that last is in capital letters. The deadline for comments is January the 10th. In a terrible year when the news focus was on COVID, there are also many fun and bizarre stories. Here are 10 of the best weird and wacky stories from 2020. <laughs> During the first lockdown, Francini Osario's wild and wacky idea to hang 35 clear plastic shower curtains at Francini Cafe de Colombia in Angel Place grabbed international attention. After featuring in the Worcester News, the invention went viral and reached an international TV audience. In September, we revealed dozens of reports of UFO sightings in the county had been released in previously confidential government government files. The file showed 21 reports of unidentified flying objects made by county residents between 1997 and 2009. Reports made in Worcester involved teddy bear-shaped objects, moon-sized balloons and red and yellow stars. Comedian David Baddiel was left disappointed when he stopped off in Worcester for a meal in February. The star tweeted to say his meal at Yo Sushi wasn't up to much and joked it should be called No Sushi. In September, churchgoers for the Worcester Diocese had a bizarre and unpleasant experience when their online Zoom meeting was infiltrated by hackers. Mm. Zoom boomers joined the virtual meeting without an invite and shared some offensive and disturbing content on both their profile pictures and in their chat. 
a cheery postman put smiles on residents' faces, delivering the post in full fancy dress during the first lockdown in May. Droitwich postie Brandon Clark turned up to work as Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean, the genie from Aladdin and even a hot dog. <laughs> December brought the fantastic news Worcester's own Ginny Lemon will be back on our screens on the second series of BBC Three, BBC Three's Drag Race UK. Ginny Lemon, 31, will be trying to impress Are You Paul?, but they had already had a, faced a fearsome panel of judges, having made it to boot camp on The X Factor in 2017. Concerned Worcester mum Linda Solway warned parents about a children's toy that she said had sex noises in August. The Hasbro Trolls doll was recalled after a video of the toy making gasping and giggling sounds when a button between its legs was pushed and it went viral. A music teacher from Pershaw stole the nation's heart during an appearance on Great British Bake Off in September. But sadly, during Bread Week, Rowan Williams became the third amateur baker to be eliminated from the show in a comedy put-down. Paul Hollywood described Rowan's soda bread as like eating lemon drizzle cake in a sandstorm. <laughs> Jackie Smith made a surprise appearance on Strictly Come Dancing in October. The former Home Secretary, who was born in Malvern, danced with partner Anton de Beck and wowed audiences, but they ended up being first pair eliminated. And in December, author Michael Rosen's tweet about the lack of availability of Worcestershire sauce unwittingly reigned an age-old debate. Leon Perrins or Henderson's Relish Mr Rosen's post on Twitter that several shops had run out flagged up a shortage of a supply which parent company Kraft Heinz confirmed was down to the unavailability of bottles. Mr Rosen said to the tweet, What's going on? Has Lee scarpered? Is Perrins on the run? <laughs> uh, OK. Right, the COVID year of sport in 2020. Well, COVID-19, flooding, postponements and behind-closed-doors fixtures. It's been a tough year for everyone, but sport has felt the full force of coronavirus restrictions. We started the year on a high note way back in January. Seems a long time ago now. With Worcester Wolves lifting the BBL Cup for the first time in their history after beating Bristol Flyers 67-59, to in the final, in front of a record 9,300 fans at the Arena Birmingham. But from then on, it was pretty bleak, as the floods came in February, submerging the new road, cricket ground and parts of the city. All the while, the news on coronavirus was beginning, was becoming more prominent until, in March, it forced the cancellation of all sport, professional and amateur, as the country faced the impact of this deadly disease. At the time, no one could have imagined it, but it would be a long five months before sport returned as the country went into a national lockdown. During the tedious break, there was still some big news, though. Worcester Warriors owners bought football club Worcester Raiders, who now play their games at six ways, while City confirmed their homecoming to Clanes Lane in the summer. Warriors resumed the delayed 2019-20 Premiership campaign in August as they were humbled at home to Gloucester behind closed doors, a situation we are now all too familiar with. 
into September and there was more silverware for the county with Colwall Cricket Club lifting the Village Knockout Cup at Lords after their final win over Redbourne. City played their first game back in Worcester for seven years at home to Tividale in the same month in a game they lost 1-0, a result that started a rather miserable period for the club, eventually ending in manager Ashley Vincent's departure. Another national lockdown was introduced in November and, despite the best efforts during December, Non-league football struggled to get going again as COVID-19 continued to wreak havoc. havoc. A miserable year from a sporting perspective and one we will all doubtlessly remember. Let's hope this next one brings a bit more joy. A student and beauty queen from Worcester was nominated for a Sports Personality of the Year Award in recognition of her work in the community. Isabel Lines, who is chair of the University of Worcester Equestrian Club and a Miss England finalist, was put in for the Unsung Hero Award at this year's BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Miss Lines, 20, was nominated for her work raising money for the Riding for the Disabled Association, which helps more than 25,000 disabled children and adults with activities like horse riding and carriage driving. She said, it was such a pleasant surprise and honour to have been nominated. It is obviously disappointing not to have been able to attend in person. The annual event is usually held in front of a live audience of 10,000 people. But I was lucky enough to be part of the virtual audience. I have been utilising both my Miss England and Chairman of the Equestrian Club positions to raise funds and awareness for organisations which have been struggling during the pandemic. An accomplished equestrian, Miss Lyons had been riding horses since she was just four years old, including taking part in the Horse of the Year show for eight successive years and the Royal International for a decade. She is also due to take part in the Miss England 2021 final, having been crowned Miss Black Country. In September, Miss Lyons was also rewarded with one of the Dudley CVS Council for Voluntary Services COVID Heroes Awards 2020 for all the work that she has carried out in the local community during the pandemic. The Unsung Hero Award 2020 was won posthumously by Sergeant Matt Ratana, who was nominated by East Grinstead Rugby Club, where the 54-year-old was head coach. The Met Police officer was tragically killed on duty in Croydon in September. In 2019, Miss Lyons made the headlines when she reached the final of Miss England, having won the Publicity Queen Award as well as finishing in the top five for Miss Birmingham, gaining a place in the finals. The RDA Malvern Group in Worcestershire works alongside local schools, including Regency High School, to provide riding lessons and equine therapy for pupils with SEND, Special Educational Needs and Disabilities. The family of Stephen Horty have been paying tribute to the man known to many as Steve the Gas. Stephen, who latterly lived at Perry Manor Care Home, died early last month from cancer at the age of 66. The retired gas engineer, who during his life lived in Droitwich, Worcester and Ledbury, leaves a daughter, Rihanna, aged 22, and son Danny, 
together with son-in-law Daniel, brother Paul, sister-in-law Jill and niece India, as well as a large extended family and many friends. Daughter Rihanna said Steve the Gas was a very charming, intelligent, handsome and popular gentleman. He was well known for his storytelling, his excellent work as a gas engineer in which he worked at for over 44 years and his uplifting demeanour which blessed everyone that he came across. The family would like to say a greatly appreciated thank you to everyone during this heartbreaking time. The hearse will briefly stop at Perry Manor Care Home at 10.20am so the wonderful staff who looked after Steve in his final months can pay their respects and say goodbye. The hearse will then make its way to Aswood Cemetery with a service commencing at 10.45 and followed by the burial at 11.30. Flowers and cards can be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors in Worcester or sent to Steve's daughter directly. Just on the back of that, um, I'm just going to read this piece um, about mourning um, from a safe distance in the age of coronavirus with the absence of normal rituals to say goodbye to loved ones which can have profound impact on the grieving process. The Worcester News understands how hard it is for families to grieve and share the life of a lost one with family and friends while observing the restrictions for funerals and social distancing guidelines unimaginable pain in unprecedented times. If you lose someone you care about during this time, you may be unable to attend their funeral or remember or celebrate their life in the way you would like to. Current funeral guidelines state that alongside the funeral director, chapel attendant and funeral staff, the number of people permitted to attend are limited to close family and friends. And I think the number is actually 30. Many mourners have shared how they feel they haven't had a chance to say goodbye in a way they would have wished. And even now, plans to hold gatherings for their loved ones are still on hold. At the Worcester News, they've pub- launched and publishing uh, an obituaries page every week to give families who have placed an announcement uh, the chance to celebrate the life of someone they've lost. Whilst it doesn't allow for the physical comfort of being together to give a hug or share a drink, An obituary will give your lost loved one the recognition they deserve, both in print and online, at worcesternews.uk.co.uk to share with your friends and family members. If you'd like to write them to write an obituary for someone you cared about, please use the link um, or contact the community content editor Barry Kinghorn at barrydrop.com. sorry stop kinghorn at newsquest.co.uk more than 1,200 people were fed by Worcester Food Bank in the run up to Christmas as the charity dealt with a record number of referrals during December volunteers also provided more than 400 toy shop gift cards and 67 toys to struggling families that were unable to afford presents for their children during the busiest month since the charity opened its doors in June 2012. Demand for emergency food has been steadily rising during the pandemic as the economic impact of COVID-19 leaves more people unemployed and unable to afford essentials like food, rent and heating. 
but an outpouring of generous donations and fundraising from the community has meant Food Bank has been able to keep up with demand and retain healthy stock levels despite the unprecedented pressure. Graham Lucas, manager of Worcester Food Bank, said, It's been a desperately difficult year for so many people, and that's reflected in the lengthy queues of clients we've seen outside our warehouse. Sadly, I fear things will continue to get worse before they get better. The one bright spot has been the amazing generosity we've witnessed from local people who has lifted our spirits and fed our enthusiasm to keep persevering. As well as being swamped with donations of food, the charity also received a staggering response to its campaign to ensure the hundreds of children it fed over Christmas did not wake up with an empty stocking. Enough money was raised for Food Bank to spend more than £6,000 on toy shop gift cards that were handed to struggling parents to buy a present worth £15 for their children. And now to crime. Reported crime in the city dropped by 50% in November compared with the same time last year. A total of 515 crimes were reported in Worcester in November, according to West Mercia police figures, dropping from the 1,055 crimes from November 2019. Reports of antisocial behaviour also fell massively when compared with the same time last year, with no reports made in November 2020 compared with 311 reports the previous year. Crime in the Forces Cathedral area, which covers all of Worcester City Centre, dropped from 490 reported crimes in November 2019 to 169 in 2020. Reports of violence and sexual offences in the city dropped from 309 in November 2019 to 227 in the last November. Warnden dropped from 147 to 115 and St John's and Bedwardine dropped from 153 to 87. A total of 38 reports of antisocial behaviour were, were made in Gorse Hill and Rainbow Hill, compared to none in November 2020. A total of 227 reports of violence and sexual offences were made across the city in November 2020. They actually increased slightly in St John's and Bedwardine, rising from 44 in November 2019 to 46 in 2020. There were also eight reports of criminal damage and arson and seven reports of drug offences in St John's and Bedwardine. Across the city centre, there were 54 reports of violence and sexual offences, 24 reports of shoplifting and 19 of criminal damage and arson. Twelve drug offences were also reported, 19 public order offences and 13 bike thefts. Eight crimes were reported at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in November, the area where the most crime has been reported in Worcester in the last year. A nature reserve chief, chief and a care home boss have thanked the community for voting for them after they were runners-up in our Worcestershire Care Hero 2020 competition. Jim Haberley and Lisa Edwards were runners-up for the award, which was won by 25-year-old pregnant mum Amelia Trivet with 56 votes from our readers. 
Jim, the managing director of the Wild Goose Rural Training and Nature Reserve in Hallow, got 37 votes, while Lisa, the deputy manager of St Stephen's Care Home, received 35 votes. Lisa, 49, was nominated for her work at St Stephen's, which suffered from an outbreak of COVID among staff and residents with five lives lost. She was nominated by Ruth Hemming, whose relative was cared for at the home. Ruth said the care and well-being of the residents is the top priority to Lisa, as is the contact with their friends and their relatives who are unable to visit due to COVID restrictions. Lisa said, I was very pleased just to be nominated and I'm extremely pleased for Amelia, especially being pregnant. She thoroughly deserves a pamper day. I would have been happy with just one vote and I was just really pleased to receive the nomination. The fact that all those people took the time to put a vote in for me, it's nice to have people thinking of you. Jim 51 was nominated by Ben Schoen, a part-time worker and volunteer at the centre. Ben said... Jim is one of a kind. He's worked tirelessly throughout both lockdowns in order to keep our care farm going. Jim said, I was very humbled by Ben's words and the nomination and actually all I do is just to to do my job. But to have any votes and to have anybody say nice things about you is always lovely and very special. So it was nice to be nominated. Congratulations to Amelia, who was clearly very deserving of the award. Amelia, who is due to give birth to her second child early next year, or this year, and lives in Hampton near Evesham with her son Edward and partner Jack, works for Priceless Care, looking after people with terminal illnesses. During the pandemic, she works seven nights a week for six months, caring for one family. Her prizes included a Christmas hamper, a case of Christmas wines and a £100 gift card from Waitrose in Worcester, while Iconic Beauty Boutique in Evesham will give her its complete festive pamper package worth £280. Controversial roadworks in Worcester have resumed following the Christmas break, being branded a nightmare by a local councillor. The St John's Roadworks, which have been widely criticised over the last few months, got back underway on Monday as phase two of the scheme started. As a result, there will be no entry to the A44 St John's, which will be closed westbound with a diversion in place. St John's councillor Richard O'Dell has repeatedly spoken out over the scheme, which he says has caused misery for residents. Unfortunately, the nightmare continues. We have already had six months of disruption, chaos and traffic diversions. We will now have at least another three months of the same problems. People are frustrated. They see little work taking place and they don't believe it will improve the situation. They're angry about what they feel is wasted public money on a project which has disrupted their lives and businesses for little or no benefit. The changes were imposed onto St John's. It's a pity that the council intend to continue to press ahead and ignore the feelings, wishes and views of local residents and businesses. They continue to believe that County Hall knows best. 
The works for 2021 include improving the Bromyard Road and St John's traffic signal junction with controls being changed to increase efficiency. Also included are improved <coughs> pedestrian crossing, improved road markings and roadside drainage and curbing. The road will also be widened for two lanes up to the Bromyard Road junction with the traffic island being removed. Phase two of the work is expected to last until March, including the removal of the old A44 traffic island just west of the Henwick Road junction to allow the area to have two continuous lanes of traffic travelling towards the west. Another plan is for the removal of the narrowing pinch point as traffic travels from New Road, Bromwich Road into St John's, where the curbing stroke footway can be altered to allow two side-by-side lanes to continue up the hill and through the area. Well, we await with interest. (laughs) And then a quick message from the Bishop. I don't suppose many of us have ever looked forward to a new year more than now. From most perspectives, 2020 has been a disaster, and if you are anything like me, you'll be relieved that it is coming to an end. My hope for 2021 is not that we shall be able to go back to the way we were before this dreadful year, but I hope rather that goodwill will come out of all the untold suffering of 2020. Before Christmas, I broke my leg whilst I was cycling and the wonderful care I received in Redditch reminded me again of what an invaluable thing the NHS is. I give heartfelt thanks to those who devoted themselves to it. The NHS was designed as a sort of institutional answer to the question of Jesus as asked in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The answer is that everyone is my neighbour. When the NHS cares for someone, it is done on behalf of us all. I pray that out of the ruins of 2020, there will emerge a 2021, a better society, characterised by that sort of care. Happy New Year. Happy New Year too. So time is running out. It remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank the team this afternoon, Barry Hurd and Kate Hudman. The obituaries will follow the music and we do hope to be back with you again next week. And now the following obituaries have been announced. Uh, uh, Taff Acker Robin Telford left the building on December the 15th. Um, His uh, service will be held on January the 8th, but there's no further details. Um... Anne Rolt, nee Cruis of White Ladies Aston, passed away on December the 28th. Um, private funeral donations in memory of Anne invited for the Mother's Union and be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR101HZ. Um, Betty Emma Holt passed away on December the 20th. Um, family flowers only uh, there's no actual date for um, a funeral but donations if required uh, desired for Dementia UK can be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care telephone 01905 Um this funeral will have taken place Michelle Sonia Thompson née Stevens who passed away December 14th um, funeral service was uh, January the 5th, family and friends by invitation only, no further details. 
Ivy Constance Haycock passed away December 14th. Her funeral service uh, will have taken place on Friday, January the 8th and flowers will have been welcome. Inquiries to Worcester Funeral Service 01905 23499. Brian John Smith, known as John, passed away on the 18th of December. Uh, cremation on the 12th of January at 12.15 at Aswood Crematorium. Uh, Family flowers only donations if desired to St Richard's Hospice. No funeral director mentioned there. Jinx Priscilla Grace, known as Pat, passed away uh, on December the 9th. Um, funeral by invitation only on Friday the 8th. Uh, donations for St Richard's Hospice. Uh, no funeral director mentioned there. A splash of purple as it was one of Pat's favourite colours. Gary Clive Lewis, known as The Rev, passed away on December the 11th. His funeral service also will have taken place on Friday the 8th of January. Uh, a live web webcam is going to be available. Donations for local air ambulance at midlandsairambulance, all one word, dot com. Alternatively, checks can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services at the Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. The Rev was the unique frontman of MHT and will be missed by his fellow band members, friends and the Worcester music scene. And the conclusion there is the world will be a quieter place without you, Rev. Stephen Donald Horty, known as Steve the Gas, uh, uh, an obituary I read out earlier, or a tribute at least, um, passed away the 9th of December um, and his funeral service uh, will take place on the 11th of January. Um, full details can be found at www.dignityfunerals.co.uk forward slash funeral hyphen notices forward slash 09 hyphen 12 hyphen 2020 hyphen Stephen hyphen Donald hyphen Haughty. Alternatively, um, ring AV Bands, Nicholas Street, Worcester, um, there. And Thelma May Goodyear, near Sawyer passed away after a long illness, doesn't give a date. Funeral is going to be at St John's Church, Worcester, at 12 noon on Tuesday, the 12th of January, followed by burial at St John's Cemetery. Restrictions apply at both venues. Donations in lieu of flowers to Alzheimer's UK, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, details as before. Uh, Philip John Proctor passed away on the 15th of December. Um, funeral service will be on the 14th of January at 11am. Donations for the British Heart Foundation and the Jackson Funeral Family Directors can be contacted on 01905 616 222. And in today's paper, sorry, there will be a rattle. I apologise for that. Um, 
um, is John Michael Marchant, who passed away on the 16th of December. Um, private family uh, funeral will have taken place on the 8th of January. Uh, family flowers um, only and donations to St Richard's Hospice can be sent to AV Band, Funeral Directors, St Nicholas Street. Those details I've already given you. So, in conclusion, our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And the thought for the day, uh, for, for the week, actually, is um, taken from the book of Psalms, verses 1 to 4, uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.